Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael and I'm here today or tonight to do a mini review of a new board game that I was uh, graciously sent a review copy for and it is the Liberation of Reitberg which is the fourth game for Cosmos who publishes it from game designer Gerard Hecht. Sorry, I'm sure I screwed up your name. <laughs> and it's the second game in the shared narrative world of Andor. So technically the name of the game is The Liberation of Reitberg, a game in the world of Andor. More on that later. But to join me tonight to uh, play along and ask some questions and make this more of a conversation is Chris from the Redemption Podcast. So Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Perfect. So for anyone who isn't familiar with you, what's the quick spiel about Chris and Redemption? Uh, I am the Game Master for Redemption, which is a Star Wars actual play set during the Clone Wars. Uh, I think we are rumored to be the longest running Star Wars AP out there right now. Ooh. So you just don't know when to quit. Yep. You're like the Rebellion. Yes, we are stubborn. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so again, I do want to thank Cosmos and the people there. They did send me a copy to review. Uh, so I've played this game now like four times. Uh, so that is certainly not an exhaustive amount. And there's probably, in fact, I know there's parts of the game I haven't even touched because there's uh, some of the characters they suggest you start with, and there's some characters that are for more advanced players only, and I haven't played with those yet. Uh, so I'm basically going to be talking about the base game. Uh, so at its heart, the liberation of Reitberg pits a group of heroes against the minions of an evil dragon named Tarok. Uh, if you succeed, then you clear the castle before Tarok arrives. If not, of course, you lose, and that's bad. I would say the game is like a co-op fantasy adventure game for two to four players. The suggested age is 10 plus, and the playtime is approximately 40 minutes. So I know, Chris, you can see that. The audience can't. But here's the game board. <laughs> My first little gripe is I wish the game board was bigger. I'm sure it's the size it is because they have it in a package, and they want that package to be small for shelf space and, you know, how many units they can have in a box and everything. Uh, but I just wish the game board was a little bit bigger. And I'll explain here in a minute, as you can see, there are these little like indicators where you place cards. Okay. Uh, so, so the board is laid out. You place stacks of cards in different places. And there's one of the elements about the game that's kind of cool is there's a lot of randomness to it because you, you have more cards than you need in most cases. So every time you play, it's going to be kind of like random which ones you get, which ones you don't. But the first thing you do is when you start the game, as far as setting up the board, is you take task cards and I believe there are 16 of those, and you need six each turn or each game, and you shuffle them up. And of course, this board normally would be laying flat. I'm holding up so Chris can see. Yep. And you place the card here, uh, and then you're gonna stack some cards on top of it. So the card is only like a fourth, maybe even less than more like, a, let's say like, a, like two tenths of the card. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Uh, is on the board, and the rest is just off. And that just bugs me for some reason. I know it's just a Michael thing, but I really wish the whole card would sit there uh, because it's not the game board super thick, but it does create just a little bit of like a ramp. And so when you set other cards on top of it, sometimes you create a little cascading effect. And I've had cards that just sort of gently slide off. And it's it's nothing. It's not a major issue whatsoever, but it drives me batty every time. Got it. Know how to annoy you the next time we game. Yes, just, just mess with your cards a little bit. Yes, yes. Um, so I guess, so the first thing you do is when you set up the game, obviously is you lay out the board, you take the task cards and you shuffle them up. You place them in the slot where they're designed to go, which is, it's still kind of a neat thing. It lets you, it makes it easy to set the game up. Um, you then take two narrator cards and that's what these look like. Okay. And for every player, you're, you draw two of them 
turn it over and you do what it says. And basically it's gonna have you add encounter cards onto one of the six areas that the game board has that you're gonna put these task cards. Uh, and they're supposed to kind of line up and make like a castle area. So the areas are the gatehouse, the dungeons, the tower, the outer tower, the forge, and then the throne room. So basically you're gonna turn over the error card and it's gonna tell you, uh, there's a little bit of like, you know, in-world narration, but basically mechanically, it, this one tells me to place one encounter card face up in area four. And then it has a second instruction that says to add an encounter card face up in area one. And that's what all these narrator cards are. They have two sets of instructions. Each one is gonna add a card to a location. Most of the time these are face down, sometimes they're face up. And on some occasion, it'll just tell you to put the encounter where your character is, not a location, which when you do it at the beginning of the game, doesn't make sense because you don't have a character anywhere yet. So I've always just put those on location six because that's where you start when you play the game. It also has a difficulty modifier. Some of the cards, the top is in the normal color, which is kind of a yellowish color, and the bottom is in red. And the instructions say, if this is your first game or if you want an easier time, ignore the red cards. So you just don't do the part that's red because it's going to make the game more difficult. All right. So let's say we were going to play the game. We draw the top four, and then we would then put the cards on the board based off of what those four told us to do. We then take 10 more and there's a place on the board where they are designed to go and we put them there. And then as we play the game, we'll draw more. And every time we draw one, it will tell us to add cards to a place, that kind of thing. We put the rest up. And there's only a couple times when we will actually go back and get more narrator cards. It's very rare. I think there's only two that I know of that let you do that. And basically this is the timer mechanism. If you run out of narrator cards, you lose. Uh, so you want to try to avoid drawing them, but the game makes you draw them at certain times, which obviously if you didn't, it'd be too easy. That makes sense. The last thing you're going to do before you set up is you have a stack of eight friend cards. And these are these green back ones. And they're basically like NPCs. And certain elements in the game will allow you to add one of these cards into your hand, which I'll explain in a minute. And they all do a thing. Uh, they, you know, uh, this one... Lafornis, the Sorcerer of Fire, you can take the top two encounter cards from any location and turn both of them over and then return them to that location. Wart, the Traveling Tem, which is a lot, a lot like uh, Dobby from the Harry Potter series, uh, you may turn over one task card of your choice. So basically they do things, they go into your hand and they, they're, they are useful. But the big element for me in the task or the friend cards I'm jumping around a little bit. I'm going to give you a chance to ask questions in a minute. I'm just trying to get the basics laid out. Is when you choose which character you're going to play, and there are six characters to choose from. There's Chada, who is an archer from the Watchful Woods, and she is the blue-backed cards. There's Th uh, Thrawn, the warrior from Rightland. Orphan, the wolf warrior from the High Mountains. So basically, we got archer, fighter, barbarian. Uh, and then you have the other three, which have slightly different mechanics and are suggested for experienced players only, who I've not played yet. You have Krom, who's a dwarf warrior, who has a big-ass powerful axe, but it has a recharge mechanic. Okay. Era is a sorceress who uses spell cards, which kind of add a random element. You don't always know what you can do until you turn over the card or the token and it tells you what you can do. 
Uh, and then you have Keela, who's a guardian of the Riverlands. He's kind of like a druid. She has a river spirit. And you can make the river spirit move around the board and do things for you on your turn instead. So basically, you, then you have a dwarf, a sorcerer, and a druid. So there's definitely some D&D archetypes uh-huh. or generic fantasy archetypes, not necessarily D&D. But this is where the game actually, I think, is pretty interesting. So I'm going to start as though I'm playing Chada. So she has three cards. And these make up the player's hand. I'm going to try to show you these on the camera so it'll help make sense. But on each card, there are three things that she can do. And they're divided by those little slash marks, as you can see. Hopefully you can see those. And each one's a little bit different. So on your turn, you choose which card you play, which limits what you can do on that turn to one of three options. And the options obviously a little bit different. So choosing which card to play is pretty important. Uh, So for this card, for example, I can attack at a power level of four. Uh, When you fight encounter cards, most of them are monsters. There's eight items in the game that are kind of like one-use magic items. And you have to meet or beat the power level of the creature. And they have a little indicator in their corner on how powerful they are. So she can attack with four. Or she can draw a quiver. There's tokens uh, that go in the middle of the board that are quivers that are face down. And they have a random amount of power. So if I use the Mm -hmm. quiver, I might attack with a two or I might attack with a nine. I don't know because it's random. Uh, I mean, so depending on how many I have, that kind of thing. Or I can flip a card up. So in the middle, that's either or. I can either attack or I can either gain a quiver or I can turn a card over. And that's part of the way the game mechanics works is you need to turn cards over to see what's there before you can fight them. So spending your turn to turn cards over can be effective, but it doesn't progress the game forward. It just gives you more information. Uh, And the last one on this card lets me move up to three spaces. Uh, Another card of hers lets you attack with that quiver. So again, I'm attacking now, but I don't know the power. I just turn it over. Uh, I can turn over two cards or I can move one and turn over cards. So that's basically the way the game works is you have three cards in your hand, you pick one, you play it, you do what it lets you do. But once you've played that card, it's out of your hand. So now I only have two cards. On my next turn, I'll play another. On my next turn, I'll play another. Now I have no cards. So the only way to get these cards back in my hand is to draw one of those narrator cards. It's called revitalizing. So I'm going to have to do that to get all three cards back in my hand, but I'm going to be adding more encounter cards to the board somewhere at random, and every player has to do this. So for the most part, every three turns, you're going to be revitalizing. Uh, On top of that, you can assist. So if I'm in location one and you're in location one and you're fighting something, but you can't beat it, you can ask me to help. So I can play one of my cards on your turn but it's still out of my hand. Ah. So rather than being able to revitalize on the third turn, I'm now going to revitalize on the second turn. Okay. So again, when you revitalize is going to speed the game up. That's also where those friend cards come into play because they go into your hand like a card. So now instead of having three cards, Chadra would have four and you can play the friend card and just not do what it says if you want, just to give yourself one more turn. So like, for example, say we ran out of Andor cards, the next person revitalized, the game is over. I might do that to give you one more chance to go. Maybe maybe we can win in that case. So it's a way to, it does things that are helpful, but it also lets you stall. On your other cards, you don't have the option. You have to do one of the three things that it lets you do when you choose, even if it would technically be detrimental to you. Got it. 
So in the board setup, I've, I've got my six tasks laid out, one at each location. I put all the encounter cards down. Again, most of these are monsters. Some of them are items. Um, that's another way to change the difficulty. Some of the monsters have this red colored uh, like flavor text. You can just not use the red ones if you want an easier game. So for example, the toughest monster I could find in the, in the regular cards has a power of 11. The toughest red one is 16. So these are significantly harder to kill. And some of them also come with negative effects. So like when you kill it, you have to add more encounter cards or you have to flip them over, that kind of thing. So on my turn, I'm going to move around the board. I'm going to try to turn over encounter cards. Hopefully I'll be able to defeat the monsters there. And once you've got all the encounter cards off of a location so that only the task is left, you can then turn the task over, see what it says. And if you are able to complete the task, then you've beaten that task and you take it off the board. You have to beat four of these tasks before you run out of cards to win the game. So you don't have to do all six. Uh, so again, that's a random element. You're only taking six out of 16 cards, but you only have to do four of them. But in some of the games I've played, I've uncovered more than four and then chose the ones that were easier for me to accomplish because um, it made more sense. Um, so for example, here's just the one I picked up. This task card is Rufus the Plunderer from the Riverlands. To beat this task, you have to pay for encounter cards in the throne room. So that's location one. You have to pay one gold for each face-up creature that's there and two gold for each face-down card. So if you turn this over and then maybe three turns later, you get rid of every encounter card on level one, then you can get this one for free, but someone has to be on that location to do that. And if you take time to go to location to location, you might add more encounter cards from revitalizing or that kind of thing. Uh, some of them, like this one requires you to pay gold. The way you get gold is by defeating monsters. So when you defeat a monster, you have a, a track called your trophy gallery where you set them up. Some, some creatures go in row A, some in row B, some in row C. And a lot of the tasks revolve around your trophy gallery. So you may not be able to defeat a task until you've beaten so many monsters of so many different types. The only way to get the friend cards is to defeat trolls. And they're, the, they're the, mm. one of the toughest creatures in the base game. And one of the tasks is you have to have three friends. So not only do you have to find three trolls, you have to beat three trolls before you can beat that particular task if you uh, turn it over. Excuse me. Some of the tasks have this blue card mark here. That is text that you have to do before you can do the task. So for this one example, it's the task is the prisoners. All you have to do to do this one is to get all the encounter cards off of it. But you can't uncover a task until you do that. So the blue text tells you, hey, you got to add two more encounter cards before you can try this. So you're going to add two more. But once you get rid of those two, then basically as long as someone's standing there, they can do this task for free. Uh, the last thing before I kind of open it up to you is uh, there are uh, 45 monsters in the encounter deck. There's 53 cards, 45 are monsters. You're going to use a random amount each time. There are eight items and the items are basically one-off magic items. So I, I chose a couple here to use as examples like what that means. Uh, one of them is the Hadradian Hourglass and you can pay two gold to add uh, a narr narrator card back into the game. So again, it would extend the game one additional turn. Uh, there's one called the Brother Shield, which is basically Captain America's shield. It's a one-off <laughs> item you can throw, so you can find any location, and it has a damage of 10, which is a lot. Wow. 
And then there's the bone branches. You may take the top face out, face down encounter card from any location and remove it from the game without looking at it. So you just, it's out of the, out of the game. You don't know what it is. It could be a location or it could be a item or it could be a tough monster. You don't know. It's just gone. Kind of get rid of it. So I think those are the basics. So what <laughs> questions would you have me trying to explain how to play this game if we were sitting down to play it, play it at the table? Okay. Uh, first question I always ask is how complex is the game? It's actually pretty easy. The, the, the biggest decision that you're going to make each time is which of your cards you want to play. And those are going to be very situational specific. If you need to fight a monster, then you want to try to play one that lets you deal damage. Hopefully it does enough. Uh, like with Chadra, for example, she can deal four damage that I know for a fact she'll deal, or she can use a quiver. In one case, she can use two quivers, and those have random values, so I may not get to where I need to get with that in particular. Uh, some of them let you move. Some of them let you add more quivers into your pile so you have more options. Some of them let you turn cards over. Uh, so knowing what the best choice is at that time is going to be the biggest decision that you make knowing because once you play it, you can't play it again until you revitalize. For me, you know, again, as a 45 year old guy who's played a lot of games, <laughs> I did not find this overly challenging. I have not had a chance to play this with my kids yet. I should, I just have not had a chance. I'm worried that they are not going to know what to do in most cases. And I'm going to end up telling them what to do. Okay. So the strategy is not too complicated for you, but maybe a little tough for kids. Yeah, again, the game says 10 plus. Um, I have a nine and a 10 year old, so they're right in that range. I, I think they could play this game. I think they could understand what we're trying to do. I just don't know how well they would be able to do the strategy. So uh, again, I, at some point I'd like to maybe update this once I get a chance to play with them. It just hasn't happened yet, mm -hmm. so I could say for sure, but this is just my guess playing other games with them. I think they could do it, but they would probably struggle a little bit with the strategy. How's the learning curve on it? I would say pretty shallow. The, the instructions, I'll give the instructions credit. I think they do a really good job of walking you through the setup of the game. My one complaint about the, the rules, and I, I may have missed it. I've read the rules twice and then skimmed it a third time. At no point does it tell you where to start your characters. But based off of a, of a photo in the, the game as the startup instructions, it shows all the characters at location six which is the gatehouse which makes sense if they're showing up to a castle to defend it they would probably start at the gatehouse but it doesn't actually say put your characters at the gatehouse but other than that just walking through the instruction booklet i was able to because it tells you take the narrator cards shuffle them turn two over per player take the encounter cards shuffle them you know follow the instructions so within like like you could have this game set up Assuming everything's divided up, and you know me, I'm OCD, mm -hmm. so I had everything divided easily. I could have this game on the table ready to play in less than 10 minutes. Nice. That was gonna be my next question was set up. Uh, you mentioned bosses or enemies, I should say. Yeah. You just said power level. Does that equal their hit points, or is that the damage they do, or how do you beat a monster? Yeah, they don't deal any damage. It's just you have to meet or beat their toughness, which is indicated by a, an icon in the top right. It's like a red fist with a number. Um, some of them are as low as one and two. Uh, the, the, the toughest one I found was 16. There's a couple that are variable. So its toughness is equal to the number of other ones of it on the board. Uh, there are some that the toughness is equal to the number of face-up cards or like the total number of all the values of face-up cards. Uh, so those can go up and down pretty wildly based off of what's up, what's down, what you take out first, that kind of thing. 
but basically you just have to match their number with your attack. Uh, so I use Chatter. Let me use, uh, get the other guy, Thorn. He's the other starter character. So he's like your fighter. Okay. So his attacks are four, six, or eight. So one of his cards has an attack of four, one, six, one, or eight. So a lot of these creatures he could probably take out by himself, but it also is very dependent on the randomness where you are. He has a lot less movement. So Chadra, she has a movement of three on one of her cards, which is half the board. He only has movement of one. So he's going to be moving a lot slower than, than she does. Uh, one element he has, which I didn't talk about, is he's able to gain will point tokens. And these affect as a plus one and they're cumulative. So I could, you know, I could have 10 of these in front of me and in one fight I could use one, none, or all of them. So he can take out things pretty quickly if you got enough willpower. But that's what I'm doing that turn with that card is gaining willpower, which means I'm not moving, not already fighting things and I'm not turning over cards. And since you have that narrator card time set, that countdown clock, again, that's the decision is, is it better for me to gain willpower or do I need to go ahead and do something now because we have to turn over more cards later? Okay, I'm following you. But when you say the, the total number, let's say I've only got a four, but the monster's an eight, then it's your turn. Can you play another four and then combined? Or do you have to do it all at once? You have to do it all at once, but you are allowed to ask for other people to fight on your turn. You have to be in the same square or they have to have the ability to attack at range, which not all the characters do. Or if you have like that brother shield, which is like, you know, Captain America, you could hold on to it. You could do that then because you can attack anywhere on the board at that point. Uh, So the times that I've played, because I've I've played it by myself. So basically I've played solo, but I've played it with two and three of the characters. I just played all the hands. I had to team up fight all the time. Like that was just pretty much the strategy is I would just do that all the time if I needed to, which was a lot. Okay. Uh, you said task cards. You have to beat a certain number of task cards to, to win? Yes. that's the, the win condition is when you set the game, you have 16 of these task cards, and they kind of look like a, a door being kicked open with a question mark. You shuffle those up, and you put six of them face down, one on each location. If you can remove all the cards on top of it, either by defeating the monsters, we're just removing the cards, whatever, uh, you turn it up and then you can read the text. If it has that blue text on there, you have to do that first. Otherwise, if you qualify for what it's telling you to do, you can just do it as like a free action. Uh, But you do have to be in the square. So someone would have to be in that same location. But if all the other qualifications are met or you can meet them, it's a free action. Doesn't take a card, doesn't take a turn. You can just do it so you could even do a task in the middle of a move like like shadra she can move twice on or on her three space move complete a task and then move one more to the next station if she wanted to okay so that number doesn't change though the six cards is for one player or four uh yes the difficulty is going to ramp up because you turn over narrator cards to start the game two per player so with four players you're going to have a lot more encounter cards just to start with than you would if you played a two-player game. Do you think it's easier with less players or is it easier with more players? So I played it once with two players and I played it a couple times with three. I found it easier with three because you just have more options. Now, again, I'm a single player, so I'm always making the decision I want for the whole game board. I don't have any situations where someone makes a, you know, it's kind of like that quarterbacking situation when you play a co-op game like I could just tell my kids if I played with them to do what I want them to do if I don't then they may make a, op- a choice that isn't optimal for that situation 
So I found playing it all by myself that being able to make decisions for everybody was easier to get people where I needed them to be and to work everything out. So for me, it seemed easier with three. I've not played a four person game yet. Which is your favorite character? I like Chadra. Uh, I'm saying her name differently every time. I don't know. It's C-H-A-D-A. She can move fast. I actually like the randomness of it. I think that's fun uh, to, you know, you, ga- you gather quivers and you can just see what you get. Uh, generally, I've overkilled things when I use her. But uh, I kind of think the dwarf, who I've not played yet, would be fun. His item is an axe that's a plus four. So he can use it as a plus four attack on top of his cards. But once he uses it, it becomes inert uh, or lessens. And now it can only be used as a plus one unless you pay two gold to reactivate it. But since you use your gallery to complete tasks, if you spend gold to revitalize his axe, you may not have the gold you need to complete a task later because you only have the cards that you can defeat based on what you draw. So if you waste a lot of gold, you know, either on his axe or that one item I said where you can pay gold to add a narrator card, you may not have the gold you need and you may not be able to complete tasks later and kind of get stuck. So it's kind of like a powerful weapon, but it's got a limited use and is it worth recharging? So I think it would be a fun character to play. I think it'd add a cool element. How difficult do you think the sorcerer is? I haven't even touched that, but reading through the rules, I think it would probably be the most difficult because it seems to be the most random. She has a number of spells. Some of them are combat. Some of them are not. There's one that you can always use. It's like a base attack of three. So you do always have the option of attacking. But the others, if you decide to use them, you're going to turn it over and it may move you or move cards or move other people. So it's going to add a lot of sort of like wild card to it. Gotcha. From what I read, I haven't played it. So it seems to me like it would be the most complicated to play. And the one that would drive me the nuts most. Cause Probably. If I make a plan, I want it to work. And if it's yeah. random, I'm like, Grr. Right. Well, my kid would love that. Because he loves the randomness of games. So he'd love that one. In certain elements, I do. But I think that in this game, it would be more harm than good. And then the the Guardian has the Water Spirit. It's more of a support. It's a lot more of a buff. So she seems to be a character that you would play to help other people. You don't do a lot of actions yourself. But if your Water Spirit's in the same place they are, then their attacks get stronger, I think, is how that works. Excellent. So you said it's the heroes versus the dragon... What's well, the dragon's minions? If the dragon shows up, you've lost. Gotcha. So you need to clear the castle before the dragon shows up. Maybe they'll make an expansion with the dragon. Well, there's supposed to be more games in this quote-unquote world of Andor. And I believe that this Tarok the dragon is part of a narrative element that combines them. So I believe in other games. In fact, there's something in the rulebook that I think even says that in later games you'll fight Tarok. I kind of like that. I kind of like how they're growing the world with the games. It's kind of a neat idea. Yeah, I've seen there's another one. I'm I'm going to butcher the name if if nick was here he wouldn't he's the one it's like the west marches or west andes or something it's a it's like a three different three different games that that do that they kind of build on each other they're not exactly expansions but if you play one it can affect another so this is something i've seen before but it's not something that's wild widely used that i'm aware of so it is kind of neat to play a board game because this is very much like a beginner's D D game that's how i would say you know you're a fighter you're a archer you're a dwarf you're a sorcerer and you're killing monsters trying to free a castle very rpg D to me so to have a narrative element on top kind of cool yeah and from a company standpoint you're just generating more revenue and keeping the company around 
Yeah, I mean, if, if you like this game, then you're probably going to like the next game in the series, or you're at least going to buy it, probably. And if you don't like it, you won't buy the third one or the fourth one, but it's, it's you're helping build a brand loyalty. So it makes a lot of sense from a publisher and a designer standpoint. So I'm all for it, as long as the games are good. I'm a big fan of the co-op games. I like the idea. Me too. Those are my, my favorite type. So I would say for me right now, I would give this a B rating. I want to play it with my kids, and I do apologize that I haven't done that yet. It's just life is not allowed for me to do that. If this is a game they like, this is a game we will play a lot because it's easy to set up. It's pretty easy to get going. Uh, I can definitely see that, right? One of the games we play all the time is Forbidden Island. Okay. That's another co-op game. And so this is somewhat in that vein, but this is, you know, rather than pulp action adventure, Indiana Jones style, this is more of a D&D RPG style. So if they like this game, I can see myself playing this game quite a lot and I would be okay with that. Excellent. That's, I mean, you explained it well. I mean, I don't really have any other questions that pop in my head. Yeah. Like I said, it's a pretty straightforward type of game. Um, You know, if we end up having our faculty retreat later this year, I'll bring it. Maybe we can play it. But yeah. So if anyone out there has played it, if they want to correct us, I may have screwed some things up. Please let us know in the comments. And uh, if you do like the game, let me know that as well. If you end up picking up this game, you if you click the link that I, this episode is in, there's a link there. I'll get a couple pennies sent my way from you buying it. I think it's $27 on Amazon currently. I know not a lot of people like to use Amazon because it is an evil corporation, but it's also cheap. So, you know, your morals may vary in where you apply them. But if you pick it up based on this review, even if I don't get the, the couple dollars from Amazon, let me know. I, I like to know that people are listening to these and taking our opinions into account. Uh, but I would say this is a, a buy, not a top tier, but a fun game. I'm looking forward to playing it with my kids. Excellent. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me and being my backboard that I get to bounce comments off of. So I'm not just talking to myself for an hour. Uh, one more time, let people know where they can find you and what, what you do on the internet. Uh, most of the time you can find me on Twitter. Burlu underscore Chris, and you can always listen to my uh, awesome voice on the Redemption podcast, running the game and playing a couple characters. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, again for joining me. And remember, as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook Or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. 
The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.